Good morning. Take your Bibles. Let's go to Luke 17, the passage that Joseph read for us, or open your scriptures if you use those electronically. I have to rephrase the way I say that. I love electronic Bibles because you got so many versions and so many things all in one place. So it's great, so I'm not opposed to that at all. Text Joseph read for us, the Lord must want our attention in this because that's exactly what Joseph brought the message from this past Friday night. So if you were here for the international dinner on Friday night, we're going back to the same text. So obviously the Lord wants our attention here. So uh, again, for those that don't know me, I'm Marsh Fant. My wife Gretchen is right over here. Uh, we were sent out by this church in 1995 to replant a church in Rock Hill, South Carolina. So we often call this our second coming. So we came back four years ago, but we're never around because every other week we're out assisting churches. And and so we try to be here each Wednesday night, but some of you, they're just here on Sundays. You may not see us much, but there's a reason for that. So anyway, um, this past year has been an interesting year for us, especially for me with the injury to my eye in um, May of 2020. But during that time, again, so what I do, part of what I do in my ministry is help churches in conflict. And you know, when you do that, I was in the, while while Pastor Cook was preaching through Romans, I mean, during this time, I was studying Romans, this whole passage on the weaker brother, the stronger brother. I mean, I was trying to get a whole series of messages to maybe take some deacons on a retreat and churches having conflict. And then my accident happened. And so all of a sudden I realized, hey, put all that minutia aside, and I went back and read this. I started in the Gospels, and I wanted to see how Jesus dealt with those with physical afflictions. So that began about a year study of just studying Jesus' concern and love. And obviously, you look at Luke 17 here, starting in verse 11, you can see the wonderful account of a leper being healed. And so not all of our afflictions are healed like this leper is healed on this side of glory. But what it does, when you, when you study the 40 to 50, depending on how you want to count them, the, the, the accounts of Jesus himself dealing with those with physical afflictions, it shows you the love Christ has for us regardless any circumstance you're going through. And again, in the account this morning, and is what we'll be looking at is if you've been concentrating on thankfulness. And, and again, the, the challenge I gave a few weeks ago is, is, again, there's nothing inspired about a hundred items you're thankful for. It just makes you think and think and think. Okay. So, uh, I hope, I hope maybe you've taken part of that challenge. In fact, some of the children have come up and said, Hey, I'm on 65 or, and, and somebody came, Hey, I finished. And, and this morning one said, I, I'm on 99. I said, well, thank God Clemson won yesterday. Okay, got a hundred. Okay, so, you know, there's always, so thankfulness makes us just think back, be still, and realize that God is God. So this morning is one of our, one of my favorite passages. In fact, our our kids, we read them these um, arch Bible story books, the Duns recommended, we started having children, and the leper, blind Bartimaeus and the leper that returned were by far the two most favorite of our children's stories. So this is just, again, a lot of great memories in this passage. So let's look at verses 11 through 13 of Luke chapter 17. Then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. 
It says, on the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, Jesus, Master, have mercy, have pity on us. Father, may we see the great love you have for us this morning. Father, may we just set aside the cares and all the busyness that's coming this coming week and and Lord, just concentrate on who you are, the great love you have for all people, the great love you have and demonstrate that love towards those with afflictions. So Father, I pray you'll take this word this morning and use it in our hearts that we'll leave here more like Christ. We'll leave here more like the healed leper that was thankful, so thankfully came back and praised God for that. So, Lord, I pray you get the honor and the glory for anything done this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's an outline in your bulletin you're going to see in the first part. We're going to look at a divine, a divine encounter. And what is that all about? Well, Jesus is traveling south. Okay, so let's just see what that looks like. I, I don't how well you can see that map. But up north you have Galilee. In the middle you have Samaria, and in the end you have Judea. So Christ was traveling between Galilee and Samaria, and that's important because you got to understand, you see what's going on here. So it says as he was on his way to Jerusalem, which is in the south, what happens? He's passing along in this village, and was met by ten lepers. All right, so this is the area, as he's going south, this is the area between Galilee and Samaria where Jesus is coming, and this is the example he has for us, and it's going to be interesting as we look at the makeup of these ten lepers that we'll have a Samaritan in the middle of them. So this is the area. So it makes a lot of sense of the composition of the ten that are there. And it says, as he entered a village, the ten lepers met him. They stood at a distance. Why? Well, they stood at a distance because they were made to. We can understand these lepers were outcast. These lepers stood at a distance and they cried for pity. They cried for mercy. Some would even say this word master. Some would say that means chief commander. Even all ten lepers knew he had control over everything. And they came to him and were crying out at a distance for mercy, for pity. Why? Because they had a disease, a contagious disease that there was no cure for. There was no cure for. In fact, I just threw a picture. This is a, a man to, a man's hands with leprosy. Because see, the appendages, they, they rot off. The noses, the ears, the feet, I mean, the toes, the fingers. This is a actual picture. And they had to cover themselves. So these were isolated people living a slow death, separated with other people just like them. They were banned from societies. They knew it. They had to leave their homes, their families, their villages. They had to leave their loved ones and live a separated life. They were living a slow death. I have two daughters that are nurses and our youngest Abby works in uh, Prisma in Greenville. And when COVID first hit, what happened? No one was allowed. And so when this was all happening, people were dying all alone. 
And she would say, Mom and Dad, this is the saddest thing. And she stayed all she could. Her goal was that no one would die alone. But obviously, the longer it went, the nurses, all the nurses that had this goal, they could not keep that goal. Because living, when none of your family can be around when you're dying, that is a horrible way to die. So these lepers were living a slow, ongoing death away from their loved ones, separated from their villages, from their jobs, their homes, but more importantly, their family. So this is the context, and you got to understand, they were banned from society as they knew it. In fact, this is what Scripture told us. This is what it says. And the leprous person in Leviticus 13 who has a disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry. They must cover up themselves and they have to cry from a distance, unclean, unclean. So we got to understand this is the condition of these ten lepers. And it says in Numbers 5, 2, to put out of the camp, to go away from everyone. Two words that describe this, really their condition is helpless and hopeless. And so what was their cry? Jesus, Master, have mercy, have pity on us. There is no cure, there is no hope alone. Hopeless, helpless, as they're living out a death sentence, separated from everyone they love. Now this account, as you look at it, and you read, go back to verse 11, on the way to Jerusalem, passing along between Samaria and Galilee, he entered a village. You think, okay, to some random village when you start thinking through this, but oh no. See, there is no random village and random leopards when Jesus is there. He has a perfect plan for wherever he goes. This is the plan of God as Jesus is demonstrating to the world that he is the Messiah, the one sent by God. So we got to take that to your own life and the circumstances you're in right now. Folks, there are no random circumstances in your life. When they're crying out, Jesus, Master, the commander of everything, God is in full control of every circumstance where you find yourself this morning or you will in the upcoming year. There are no random circumstances. So as Jesus here, Jesus' mission was to save and to heal. He was on God's mission to prove to the world he was the Messiah. So the ten encountered the one, but then the one encountered the ten. And look what he says in verse 14. When he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priest. Okay, so why is that so important? Because the priest would make a declaration and examine them in Leviticus 14 to see and declare them healed or not. So when he says, go and show yourself to the priest. When he saw them go, show yourselves, then what happened? And Joseph did a great point in elaborating on this Friday night. So what happened? As they went, notice what it says. As they went, they were cleansed. They were physically healed. See, this priest's declaration to them will return everything life to normal again. 
Okay, so you can imagine when they hear this, and Christ says, go, but they also understand. You remember the picture, the physical condition? I'm sure some even probably had a hard time walking. Now, we don't know that, but the fingers and the toes would rot off. But it says, what happened as they went? As they trusted Jesus' words, they were physically healed. Not healed and went. Okay, you with me? But as they went, they were healed. So just think about this. Now again, we don't have many details, but we do know the condition of the disease, the condition physically it puts you in. And it says, as they went, they were healed. Their skin literally changed before their eyes. Now we don't have the account if fingers grew back or toes grow back. I don't know. But we know that could be part of it. Because we know Christ can heal in so many ways. But whatever it is, they were healed in such a way, the priest could declare them clean. No longer hopeless. No longer helpless. Now, did they see it in themselves? Or if they were traveling with the other ten, did they look at the others and see, wait a minute, look... What, everything's changing. Folks, please understand, as they went, their lives were radically changed. I mean, radically, from not having a cure to being cured. From being isolated from family and loved ones and their home and everything they were accustomed to, to now being able to be reunited. So as they went, they were physically healed. This is a radical, sudden change in their life. So what's happening in verse 14? They had faith in Jesus' word. See, faith has an object. In everything we do, whatever we have faith in, it is in some object. And here, their faith was in the object of what Jesus said, his words. And they they took action on what they believed. They took action on their faith. And faith is not, you know, faith does have action that goes with it. So faith is taking Jesus' words and then acting on it. As they went, they were healed. So what does your faith look like? So if faith is taking God's word on the next step he wants you to do, what is the next step in your life you know right now you need to be doing based on the word of God, based on Jesus' words? What do you need to be doing in your life to either come to Christ or to be like Christ? So what is that simple next step of faith? Because as they heard the words of Jesus and they acted on the words of Jesus, and once they acted, what happened? Then they were healed. That's faith. You know, and sometimes the results we beg for are not the exact exact results we get. But still, I'm going to have faith in what Jesus has told me. So our circumstances may vary. But regardless of the circumstances, I'm not going to stop living by faith. I want to take that next step of faith God has for my life. So as we think back, let's also think forward. And again, as we think back, and I think we should, and again, you can see the title of the message going on by going back, but let's remember faith is forward-looking. Not always, We look backwards to be thankful. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But this faith, as they went, as they were going, they were healed. 
Are you thankful that God is ruling and reigning in every single circumstance in your life today? Every circumstance we have in our lives this morning, as he was in this village and between Samaria and Galilee and these ten lepers, again, that was not random. And neither are the sovereign circumstances we find ourselves in this Sunday morning. So you have the divine encounter, but also verses 15 through 19, we're going to see this exceptional response. So it says in verse 15, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. So notice what this one, what did this one do? Four things. He turned back. I mean, he's on the way to the priest. Remember, in the priest declaration changes everything, right? The minute the priest says you're clean, his life is changed because he can be reunited with everything he was missing. But he didn't go there. He turned back. Number two, what did he do? He praised God. Number three, he fell on his face. He fell on his face where? At Jesus' feet. And he gave thanks. See, when this one saw he was healed, he changed his direction. He turned back. His spiritual obligation of thankfulness took priority over everything else. Say that again. His spiritual obligation of thankfulness took priority over everything else. Being declared clean, being reunited with his family. See, I would think, you know, all of us love our families. What would I do? I would go find my family. Let's all go back and praise Jesus together. Right? I mean, that's the way I think. That's not what this one did. No, no. Because when he realized what had happened... He had a spiritual obligation, and that obligation took priority over everything else. Family, friends, children, everything. And this was his response to Jesus working on his in his life. And notice what it says. He was praising God with a loud voice. We get our English word megaphone from this. Okay, I mean, you think about it, you know, I'm not saying it's like a bullhorn, that's because that's, but you know, the megaphone, right? What does that do? You know, and and sometimes, you know, I love megaphones. I'm losing my hearing and, you know, I need to wear my hearing aids, but I can't do, I cannot do a patch, a mask and hearing aids. I just can't do all three. So my hearing aids have gone. So you can pray for my wife. Okay. But anyway, back to where, so he, how was he praising God? I mean, in this loud voice, unashamed. Now, we don't know who all was with Christ at this point. This passage doesn't tell us. But I guarantee you that everybody knew this man came to do what? Praise God. This loud voice. He could not go on without going back. He couldn't do it. And giving thanks to Jesus, the one that healed him, fell at his feet and gave thanks. And then this interesting little phrase at the end of verse 16. Now, he was what? Somebody read it. Somebody say it. I mean, I, I, I know the ball game was at noon yesterday. It wasn't at 9 o'clock at night. Okay, so we should be awake, right? So he was a Samaritan. So what is the significance of that? See, Samaritans, now remember, he's already an outcast because he's a leper. 
But the Samaritans were half Jew, half Gentile. Nobody liked them. They were spiritual misfits. They had their own Torah. They had their own Bible. They had their own priest. So the Samaritan here, the Jews despised them. So here is Jesus giving this, giving this account, I mean, actually carrying this out. And then he says, by the way, this, this guy's a Samaritan. So it was the Samaritan that came back and worshiped and praised the Jewish God man. This is his new faith. You know, we have several accounts of Jesus and the Samaritans. This leper was one. So in John chapter 4, we have this account. A woman from where? Again, very familiar passage. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? So it says the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. And then we have the account in Luke 10. We have the account of something called the good what? One of the most, I mean, that phrase. Oh, are you being a good Samaritan? I mean, see, we say that today, and it's an act of great coming. In fact, there's a Samaritan's purse. There's a whole ministry using this word Samaritan, but in the context of the Jewish culture, please understand the Samaritans were despised people. So not only was this guy a leper, a physical misfit, but also a spiritual misfit. So as you put all this together, so why was the Samaritan even in a leper colony with the Jews? Because we assumed there were some Samaritans there. So Christ is making a distinction. The one that returned was not a Jew. He was a Samaritan. So by this, and again, I'm reading, I'm making a deduction here, that there were some Jews in there with him. See, common suffering brings people together. So the lepers were together, Jews and Samaritans. I use that as an encouragement to you that whatever affliction God brings your way, that you will have an open door of ministry to others going through afflictions. So who is the person that God has brought into your life that is suffering some kind of a affliction? Don't overlook them. So who is the misfit or who is the one suffering that because of the perfect sovereign will of God bringing circumstances into your life you will then have an open door to minister to them again you know I with my eye affliction or patch or loss of the eye so the eye came out july 22nd so it's done you know I'm, I'm, people come and say hey how's the eye i said it's gone and they all would, oh whoa well, they, i'm sorry i asked no no this is a good thing okay but anyway last summer gretchen and i were in wyoming helping a church that didn't have a pastor and we were in the i was in the lobby because of church so i was out greeting kind of like what jim garris does you know and and the greeting team because the church didn't have a pastor so i was out there just taking that spot and this guy comes up to me and says, um, hey, I'm from a ministry in D.C. 
And I just want to let you know we have three couples here this morning, and we brought them out to a ranch here. In, in, we were near Cody, uh, near Cody, and and you know they're they're all are, you know we got two Navy SEALs and one's a special ops, and we have their wives and their they all got PTSD, and they're here for a marriage conference. We're just trying to help them put life back together. And I said, great, I appreciate that. He said, I just wanted you, you don't change your message, don't do it. But I just wanted you to be aware that they will be here in the service. I said, great. He said, oh, by the way, here comes one. So the guy, I said, I introduced him. He said, oh, yeah, I know you. I said, wait, okay. Where did we meet? He said, oh, you were beside me on the plane. I was across the aisle coming into Cody, but I knew you couldn't see me because you had this patch on your left eye. Okay. He said, I know you're going through something. Okay. That's all he had to say. So immediately these other two couples came up. There was an immediate bond between us. And they, I think God gave me an audience of preaching to them all because I had an affliction, have an affliction, and they're going through some difficult times. So when God brings something into your life, folks, you got two ways you can deal with it. You can embrace it and say, God, use this for your glory, or you can go, you know, pout in the corner. I trust you choose the latter. Is God sovereign? Yes. Is he ruling? Yeah. Is he reigning? Has he created you and in control of everything? Yes. So when God gives you an audience with those going through similar things, Use it for his glory. So let's see the response of the one. What was that all about? The response of the one, Jesus. How did Jesus respond when the Samaritan came back and threw himself at his feet? Then Jesus answered in verse 17. We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? See, the three questions he's asking here. Question number one. Hey, we're not ten. Weren't the ten? came out okay where are the nine was no one found to return and give praise to god except this notice he's pointing out again except this foreigner so there there are three questions jesus this is a great teaching moment and jesus is doing this by asking questions and then he makes these two directives he says this and he said to him rise and go your way remember what what where was he he was still at jesus's feet so the first thing he says okay rise up and then he says go your way and then he made one declaration End of verse 19. Your faith has made you well. Now remember back up in 14, he was physically healed, right? Different wording here. He says, your faith has made you well. He did not say cleansed. This word well is the same word we use in Scripture throughout the New Testament for you are saved. Your faith has saved you. So see, there was physical healings from the leprosy, but this one came back demonstrating his faith, and Jesus said, you're spiritually well. Not only have you been physically healed, 
but you have now been saved. This was much more about the physical healing. This Samaritan saw beyond his current circumstances and was able to see his spiritual need in the middle of these circumstances. And God does bring physical afflictions in our lives to get our attention. And boy, was that ever the case here. So see, a thankful person recognizes God's personal love for them in any circumstance. A thankful person recognizes God's personal love in the midst of any circumstance. This is the power of thankfulness. This is going back before going on. So I got three conclusions for you. Number one, who can be saved? So again, we go to the end of verse 19. Your faith has made you well, or your faith has saved you. So who can be saved? See, many accept what Jesus can do. Now, I don't know the spiritual condition of the other nine. But we do know the condition of this one. So see, many many understand what God can do. There is common grace that all men do receive. The sun comes up, the rains come get blessings of great jobs and this kind of stuff. So there's common grace that God gives to everyone. And then there's this. The Samaritan. The Samaritan's faith that Jesus is the one sent from God to deliver him from his spiritual sickness, his sin. So who can be saved? Anyone that comes to Jesus in saving faith can be saved. You know these verses are very common for you. In Romans chapter 10, good night. I can't even read that from this one. I should have written it out. So let me turn to it in my Bible, okay? And they told me this. This was my fault. I did not. The rest of them I wrote down. So in Romans 10, when we start looking at this passage... You know, I'll back up to verse 8. It says, for what does it say? The word is near you and your mouth is in your heart. In your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth and believe that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth confession is made. And I don't know where I am on that screen. That's not where I want to be. And he goes on to say, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. The same Lord is over all. Then verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. But we got to understand what saving faith is. We got to understand what the Bible says about salvation. So who can be saved? We must understand that we're sinners and that all that come to Jesus in saving faith and understand what it is will be saved. Years, many years ago, before Bert and I were married to the two Gretchens, okay, Friday nights we would go out in the downtown streets of Anderson, South Carolina and evangelize. You know, we weren't preachers at that point. We were just out sharing the gospel. 
So we were down on South Main Street, and uh, there was a little grill down there, and we would, a lot of teenagers hang out, hung out, and we'd strike up conversations with them. And so we were down there, and this, we're witnessing this girl, and this little girl says, well, I can't be saved. I said, pardon me? She said, no, you don't understand. I cannot be saved. I said, well, tell me from the Bible why you say you cannot be saved. She says, because I was born out of wedlock and I'm, I'm illegitimate. I cannot be saved. See, someone had misapplied this verse to her and told her because she was born out of wedlock, there was no hope that sin could ever be forgiven and she could not be saved. That's pretty hopeless and helpless. But see, it was an unbiblical view. Okay, so anyone that comes, so we got to say when you're showing someone to be saved, you must give them the biblical view of salvation. And the only sin that will not be forgiven is the rejection of Jesus Christ as the one to die in your place. The best I remember, this little girl made a profession of faith that night. Why? Not because of what we did, only because she saw Jesus as the biblical Jesus willing and able to forgive all sins next question outline is this so on the conclusion so how are you saved i mean being thankful does an attitude of thankfulness save you the leper this is he had an attitude is that what saves you because saving faith is far more than attitude of thankfulness Saving faith is not a prayer or joining the church or being reared in a family that brings you to a church like this. Saving faith is a response to Jesus when you realize that he is what? The way, the truth, and the life. He is, there is one way. He, there is an exclusive way to salvation. So saving faith is more than seeking physical healing or relief from the circumstances that you find yourself in. One author says, everybody wants relief, nobody wants holiness, or few want holiness. So a lot of people go hit a, a point in their life where they go through a difficult circumstance, they say, oh, maybe, maybe Jesus is the answer. No, Jesus is the answer, not maybe. So, and I can testify that when you're going through a physical affliction, you do search your heart about everything in your life. So I can tell you this leper, I'm sure, was searching his heart and often asking, why me? What is God trying to do to me? About six or seven years ago, Gretchen and I were in Lowe's on a Monday night, all right, because nobody's there so I can get help because I don't know anything about what I need. I just ask people, okay, I need help. So anyway... There was a lady there with a couple of kids, and we struck up a conversation with her. She had on a fleece that had a, a Bruins on it, so I couldn't tell if it was a UCLA Bruins, because I love to talk about John Wooden, right, the great basketball coach you say, or a BJ Bruin. So I said, what, what's the bear on your fleece for? And Gretchen, she says, oh, that's for Bob Jones University. I said, oh, really? I said, well, you know, I went there, and we got a lot of kids. I said, so where do you go to church? And she said, well, we go here, and... And she said, I said, well, you know, if you ever, you know, would love to have you visit if you're not in a good church. And, and I said, so tell me about your family. And she said, well, the, I think she had Gretchen where I think I can't remember one or two kids with her that night or maybe just one. And she said, and she had um, one out in college and, 
And I said, what about your husband? He says, well, he's a great guy. He said, he's not a believer, so he doesn't go with us. I said, really? I'd love to get to know him. Guy's name's Christopher Dabbs. So she said, okay, well, maybe we get together and, and find out Christopher, very successful colonel in the Army Reserves. He was brought up in a military family. And uh, he was a colonel. And he was a nurse anesthetist. So he was, you know, in the medical world. And, and we tried to get to know him and, and you know, be in advance. But he's very standoffish and, you know, very self-confident in his, what he had accumulated in life. Very. Great family, great kids. So, um, so we leave, come here. And um, get a call that Christopher Dabbs has got advanced stages of cancer, and the cancer's very aggressive. Wow. Okay, so we've been praying for him for a long time. Okay, this escalated the prayers. So when I left, my son Marshall's there as a pastor, and he, he got to know Christopher as well, because, you know, you, you just really want to see him safe. So Marshall called me one day. I thought, I didn't know what had happened, but I knew something good had really happened. He said, you can't believe what happened. I said, tell me. He said, Christopher Dabbs came in my office. They made an appointment to come in. So he and his wife came in. He sat down and Christopher Dabbs said this. said, Pastor, I'm ready to do something great for God. Marsh said, well, Dr. Dabbs, that's, that's good, but I got news for you. You can't do anything great for God. God's already done everything he needs to do for you to be saved. He said, Say that again. He said, I, I want to give my life to God. He said, okay, that's good, but God's given everything necessary for salvation. You need to accept what God has done. So this is how are you saved. You're saved not through self-dependence. You're saved by understanding everything necessary for salvation has been done for you. You accept what God has done. So, by the way, he did come to Saving Faith that day. And his funeral was several months ago. And based on God's word and based on these verses, so what do these verses say? John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say unto you, whoever hears my word and does what? Believes how? What's the object? In him who sent me has eternal life. Does not come to judgment, but has done what? Saving Faith, when you... You know, this is saving faith. You then pass from death unto life. John three sixteen seventeen. This is the verses that I came to Christ out of. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. We don't give anything. You with me? Salvation is not us giving anything. Salvation is us accepting what God's already done. So who can be saved? Anyone that understands and believes that God sent his only son, whoever believes in him should not perish but has eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but what? In order that the world might be saved. How? Through him. Not through a spirit of thankfulness. Not returning and giving thanks, as the leper did, but coming in faith to the one that saves. So how does all this come together? So my question for you is, how should you respond after you're saved? So either this morning you're here and you need to be saved, or what should your response be after you're saved? Are you taking Jesus for granted? And a lot of us do this. Gretchen and I were in the airport near New York City, I don't know, a few weeks ago. We spent the night in the New York airport because of all the airline problems. Not exactly the way you want to spend a Sunday night, but we spent the night sitting up. 
So we load a plane the next morning, and I finally get a cup of coffee. So I'm waking up. I like to watch people before we board, right? So this couple was a teenager, and his mom were sitting there. And his typical teenager, he was decked out in all the name brand stuff. Name brand shorts, hoodie, cool ball cap, a cool backpack, the right socks, the right sneakers. You with me? So he's got, and he's, he's decked out. So we go on the plane, he's seated in first class. You don't see a lot of teenagers sitting in first class, but he was with his wife and, I mean, his mother. So we get off the plane in Greenville, I hear them talking, and she was talking about all the elite college offers he had. He looked like he did not want to be there. He would not talk to his mom. Actually, he was trying to get away from her as they were walking. See, he took, I mean, look at this kid flying first class from New York City to Greenville. I don't know what colleges they were visiting. He had no idea how blessed he was and what his mom was doing for him. So let's look at this. So how should we respond? Are we taking the blessings we have for granted? Here's what's happening in heaven, Revelation 4, 9. It says this, and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who, who is seated on the throne, who lives forever, the 24 elders fell down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before him saying, worthy are you. Folks, if we've been saved, are we giving thanks to God? Worthy are you. And then in chapter 5, it says this in verse 12, saying with a loud voice, worthy is who? Say it with me. The lamb. See, the leper made a priority of going back and giving thanks to the one that changed his life. He put everything else aside. Because this is what we must understand. A thankful person sees Jesus' personal love for them in any and all circumstances. And a thankful person is going to give him the praise and glory regardless of where you find yourself this morning. So two things this morning. Some of you are taking God for granted, assuming he'll always be there whenever you need to cry out to him to be saved. It's not true. Luke chapter 12 tells us of the fool. And God said, tonight, tonight is the night. Tonight is a judgment for you. I don't know, Ted, Kathy may remember this, but Al Black attended University of Baptist Church for many years. Very, he's a deacon here, he and Connie and Al was a great friend and did a lot of witnessing on campus. And they were back meeting at the funeral home. He stood up one night, and it was a Sunday night. I never will forget it. I'll tell you where he, where he was seated or stood up when he gave the testimony. He was witnessing to a Clemson student. Kim said, okay, I'll, I'll tell you what, Mr. Black, I will call you later. When I, when I make that decision a little bit later, I'll call you. I'm just not ready. Al got news that afternoon. He was up riding his motorcycle just up in the mountains here above Clemson. Ran off the highway and was dead. I will never forget Al Black giving that testimony. Because we don't know. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you've never passed from death unto life, you don't know what the future. I know what 
today, the scripture says today is the day of salvation. Now on your connect card and your bulletins of place, if you would like to talk to somebody, please check that. Don't wait. Or you want to see me or Pastor Ledbetter or Pastor Cook, any of us afterwards, that's good. But look at, well, look what the, I'll close with this. So many of us have experienced God's saving power. And you know what we're doing? Living an unthankful life. We have not prioritized our thankfulness the way the leper did. We haven't. And we're just going cruise control. You know, I love cruise control. I do. Now, I, hope, I hate those lane detectors, you know, that make you stay in the... They drive me crazy. But the cruise control, I love it. But, you know, spiritually, what do we do? We get saved. We're in a good church. We hear good preaching. We got great friends. And we are on cruise control. No. We're not making thankfulness a priority. The leper put everything else on hold to give thanks to God. So thankfulness is the, I think it's, it's the power to see God's personal love in your life. And I'll close with this. And, you know, I, some people get under your skin. I'm talking about other Christians. I mean, really irritate you. I mean, I, you know, some people kind of hugging a cactus, you know, the kind of person I'm talking about. And, and you know, some of these people I got to do ministry with. Okay. I'm just being very transparent. Okay. And they drive me absolutely insane. My wife will tell you. I mean, there's not, not in this church, but I'm talking about in, obviously. But folks, God brings people in our lives that really, we just don't get along with. You know, they're a critic or they're a whatever, and they're always, do this, whoever that critic is, just sit down and make a list of 25 things you're thankful for about them. Why is this so fresh on my mind? Because yesterday, last night, I had to do this to get ready for today. Because I got a critic in my life right now, and I really do not like him. But has God sovereignly placed him in my life, yes or no? Are we to be thankful, yes or no? So maybe your wife is driving you crazy, or your husband's driving you crazy, or your siblings are driving you crazy, or you... So take the challenge. See, a thankful person is able to see how much God really loves them, okay? This is the power of thankfulness. So I beg of you to come with a thankful heart. Let this power of thankfulness control you and we'll be worshiping God in a way that's pleasing to him. Any needs, take the connect cards, write them down. I love to get the results. Mary Margaret sends these out to us so we can pray for that. Any need we can help you with, we're here. Thanksgiving, I think, is my favorite holiday. I really do. It's going to be a great week, great service tonight. Thank you for listening. So let's pray and let's just rejoice. Is God sovereign? Yes or no? Is there any circumstance in your life right now God's not in full control of? Father, thank you for your goodness. But Father, thank you that you love us. You know our needs. May we be as this leper who prioritized giving you thanks above everything else. So thank you for loving us in this way. Be with our singing now. May we give praise to you in Jesus' name. Amen.